So hello and welcome to episode 10, Big 10 episode. <laughs> Double digits. An- anniversary episode for <laughs> Rebel City Podcast. As always, I've got Matt. How's it going, Matt? Not bad, mate. How's yourself? I love and love mate. It's, um, I've had a cold this week, but I'm getting over it. It's time for the weekend. It's Connor Khabib Saturday night, uh-huh. so getting ready for the MMA. I'm up on the weekend. Uh, uh, I feel really privileged to have a really good guest this week. It's uh, Jamie Cook. How's it going, Jamie? It's good. Happy anniversary, guys. Oh, <laughs> nice to be on in the Big Ten, yeah. I know. I actually thought that we were going to, we've been trying to come up with a conspiracy theory, and I want to do that as one. Of, I was wanting to do that as episode ten, but we've not been able to find one that hasn't been rinsed. Yeah, to the yeah. max. We'll try to find something. Um, our last episode, I had one of my mates Greg on, and he was telling us about Scottish colonisation, and mm-hmm. uh, he wants to speak to me about like, Scottish military influence and stuff like that. I'm quite interested into yeah. that because we've got this perception in Scotland that we're like very liberal and um, very progressive and no. Very yeah. much not British, but it turns out that we're very much doctored. Oh, <laughs> when you see the the history of what Scotland and Scots have done around the world in terms of slavery and you yeah. know clearing Native Americans off their lands, you know there's there's lots we can be proud of. But there's you know, and well, I, th- I think particularly here in Glasgow, it's good to see Glasgow University have just published that research into how they benefited from slavery, yeah. which is the first major major worth having a look at. Yeah. I think it's about two hundred fifty million they've set mm-hmm. up. Um, some programs to support students from the Caribbean to come and study in Scotland as kind of reparations. Um, and I think it'd be really interesting to see if City of Glasgow responds to that because mm-hmm. obviously as a as a city we were you know proud kind of leaders of the abolitionist movement and mm-hmm. also made an awful lot of money off slavery. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've not seen anything about that. I definitely need. I think to... it's in the last fortnight or so that aye. announcement. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, hi. I think I've, I'm one of these people that thinks that Scottish history started in like with Maggie Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I the latest a... phase, did, yeah, I think. Yeah, aye, yeah, definitely. So. It's the only bit that I've been alive for, so that's kind of. Um, understandable but um we're here to talk about a subject that i'm particularly interested but i don't know that much about i'm going to be honest um <clears throat> yep. I, I stopped myself from doing a lot of reading because i was more interested in the conversation and getting to know it through somebody else's perspective and then i'll maybe go and do a wee bit of reading on it um i've heard a lot about it in other podcasts and it seems to be a very sort of buzz oh, sort yeah. of phrase just now but um what is it that about universal basic income um, so what is it? I mean, yeah. good to describe it. and Yeah, and, definitely. I mean, and it is such a fascinating period just now for this, because this is an old idea. You know, Thomas Paine yeah. talked about this. It's gone through ups and downs for hundreds of years. Uh, Martin Luther King was interested. People from the other side of the political spectrum as well, you know, so Hayek and Friedman mm-hmm. and, and so on. Um, and I think it's really fascinating that it seems to be this old idea that's found a time now that it really has a lot more resonance. So fundamentally, basic incomes, you have people call it universal basic income, unconditional basic income, citizens basic income. Uh, there's kind of variations, minimum income, negative income tax. Um, but I suppose for a, for a basic income itself, there's a few core conditions. So fundamentally, it is everybody. So I suppose one of the questions we can maybe come back to is who gets it. But yeah. fundamentally, citizens or everybody with residency in a, in a country receiving a regular payment from the government directly to their bank account every month that they, they can use. Um, and it, it brings a lot of security with that. I think there's some core aspects to it. So as I say, it's a regular payment, you know it's going to be there, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. whatever frequency it's decided upon. So you can you can plan accordingly. 
it's universal so everybody gets it it's not based on your income or or the resources you have you give it to everybody in society which is a controversial one you yeah, know why give yeah. it to, to rich people but actually i think that's about how you implement it alongside things like reform the tax system which we can, we can like you see a similar thing with prescription charges in scotland and um, they say that the the universal nature of it rules a lot of bureaucracy and additional costs yeah. and stuff like that definitely and i think there is to me as well there's a really important aspect to the universality which is reminding us we're all part of a excuse me society together mm-hmm. so i think what one of the things we've really seen is that splitting of mm-hmm. society between you know we talk about the one percent but i suppose really it's the the ten percent is a really big issue at the, mm-hmm. the top of society there and kind of this idea that they don't really they're not part of society with the rest of us. And actually, I think there's something important to the reminder that we're all connected. An example I use is uh, I work for a group called the RSA. So it's an international kind of think tank and research organization. And um, in my monthly pay packet, I there's a line in my, my wage slip that is for a well-being payment. So every, every month, the RSA gives all its staff, I think it's £30 that you're supposed to spend on yourself to do mm-hmm. something for your own well-being. Now, Hands up, I can say I've never specifically used it. And if I have spent it in that way, it's probably been an alcohol, which is maybe not quite what they're aiming for. <laughs> but every so often you look in your pay packet and there's a line there that reminds you that the organization you work for wants you to look after yourself. I yeah. know it's a really simple thing, but mm-hmm. I think there's something symbolic to even high earners receiving this reminder every month that they're part of something bigger, even if then tax means they don't financially benefit uh, mm-hmm. from it. The last kind of core aspect of it is it's, it's unconditional. Um, and this is about the really to me is probably the most exciting bit of the entire policy, but also the bit that really winds a lot of people up. So if you receive this basic income, you choose what you do with it. There are no conditions. You don't have to demonstrate you're looking for work. You don't get it, you know, like in the US in the form of, you know, food stamps where everybody knows what you're going to spend it on. You don't have conditions attached to it. And it's amazing how difficult people really find that that yeah. concept. Even folk who on on paper are quite well, I don't know if it's it's if it's just ah, it's fine. Um, I don't know if it's that surprising because mainstream media will just tell us that everybody's going to spend that on drinking drugs. Aye. So I don't think it's actually that surprising. Mm-hmm. Oh no, absolutely. There's a lot of people that instantly just jump to that conclusion. Definitely, I think as well it shows. So Scotland is quite a centralised paternalistic country. We always have been, um, and I was aware of that, but not quite as aware as I was till, we, till I got into some of this this work. Mm-hmm. I've been involved in the, the basic income stuff for a couple of years now. And it's fascinating. You talk to folk who are quite progressive, forward-thinking people, and you say to them, you know, this is basic income, it's unconditional. Brilliant. Really love yeah. it. Unconditional. I mean, obviously, we'd expect people to be working. You're like, no, 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 it's, it's unconditional. There are no conditions. Oh, right, right, I get you, but they can't spend it on drink. And you're like, well, apart from anything, the Scottish economy functions and really really well. <laughs> but, uh, but no it's it's unconditional and actually the the evidence we have from similar programs around the world is that uh, spend on drink and drug doesn't actually increase in fact in most cases it's actually dropped slightly uh, but read that myself yeah so i mean they're, they're, it's understandable i mean you find as well when you're talking to community groups what you quite often find is you get that <coughs> initial reaction of do you know what this sounds interesting but i know that wee guy down my street he would spend this on booze and that's kind of a very quick very understandable reaction. What I find really interesting is if you actually give people space to just play with the idea, they'll go, actually, yeah, he would maybe spend it and drink. But I also know that woman who would use it because she's caring for her mum and this would mean she wouldn't have to do two jobs as well. Or I know that one who wanted to set up a business and couldn't quite get it going. You know, so actually yeah. there's a lot of positive, And I, I think there's a really crucial role for us all to play to challenge that media mm-hmm. yeah. message about strangers. Because it's... They're focusing on the 
the the small percentage of people that oh. do waste or that that it's just the same with benefits. It's mm. this it's been the same sort of thing since I think periods in time, but definitely since two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, there's been this whole um benefit fee sort of like we're on the watch out for yeah. people that are stealing our benefits. Yeah, it's your calling. money. It's ah. your money. Like they're they're taking your money and it and it's a very small percentage of people when you look into it that are actually in that category of people. The majority oh. of people that take benefits are just trying to live. They're just trying yeah, to get most by. Most of them work. And well, the majority of people actually work. Yeah. Aye, and the biggest growth in poverty in the UK has been people who are working. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the, system, the current system we have is an absolute it disgrace. Work. It, 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 it really doesn't even meet its work. own objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we're just pushing it through blindly mm-hmm. without any, any compromise. I think as well... I think quite often people go, ah, basic income, right? Sounds really nice, but it's too radical. You know, you, nobody will ever let it happen. And uh, A, we're seeing some real progress, particularly in Scotland, but also mm-hmm. elsewhere. But um, but actually, I, th- I think what we've done with social security in this country over the last kind of 30 years is far more radical than what we're proposing. We took that kind of post-war, you know, consensus about safety nets and supporting people. Yeah. And actually what we've done is radically create a system where everybody is to be doubted you know everybody is under suspicion you only get support if you absolutely prove you deserve it and we will find the slightest issue to push it back yeah you back out the system and that is people didn't stand for election going i think we should have a society where actually none of us trust each other and we think you're all scroungers (laughs) yeah but it's been a pervasive message there and so i think again it's about bringing some of that into light and going do you know what there's a basis here. I, I see basic income. It will not solve every problem. Mm-hmm. It can't. No. no policy ever yeah. does. To me, it's a, a foundation stone that we rebuild our social contract on top of. Mm-hmm. So we take the ideas that came out of, you know, beverage and the post-war period, you know, that created the NHS and the welfare state we have today. And we say, well, do you know what? Fundamentally, uh, those those challenges still exist, but they look different. The world yeah. has changed. Actually, our systems haven't changed with it. Mm-hmm. How do we protect the ethos of them, but allow them to to evolve within that? And to me, basic income gives you that starting point that other policies can have more uh, mm-hmm. impact from. I think as well, in, in those terms, when you talk about the wee guy at the end of the street who's maybe going to you know, spend all his money on booze or whatever it is, he's probably already doing that anyway. So maybe universal basic income gives him a platform to know have the stresses and triggers that result in that i mean i think these people might end up costing nhs's and social services significantly more in the long term than maybe by comparison to something like you know the universal basic income Mm -hmm. absolutely and i I think that's it i mean it's very easy to just put all the blame on to to people for everything that's going on in their lives what's happening there in terms of the conditions they're living in the lack of opportunities that they have and yet we kind of um, squeeze for austerity and such. Well, yeah, we, you know, I think it was ironically Eminem of all people. We recently, in his most recent album, had a line about you know Republicans keep telling people to pull themselves up by the bootstraps, but how can you do that if you don't have any boots? Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, it's it's it, there's a strange thing going on in America, especially in this sort of that situation with Eminem and Kanye West, where it's a black guy that seems to be yeah. pushing the white narrative and a white guy that sees through <laughs> it, and it's yeah. so strange. It's I uh, American politics is like WWE to me. It's like it's, pantomime. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think with everything we're seeing going on just now, it's it's horrific. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of good stuff happening. You know, I was saying earlier, no doubt, Pittsburgh. There's some really good. I think there's a bit of a fight back yeah. starting, but you know, it's it's. So where have we see. seen this type of thing being implemented? Like, what examples have we got? Yeah, so there's been a couple of fairly big projects over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
really interestingly, one of the biggest uh, test cases was in North America in the 70s. So ironically, you had a position where the US almost introduced a form of basic income. And it was a really well-known liberal progressive uh, president called Richard Nixon who tried to bring it forward. <laughs> um, which kind of raises a few suspicions, I suppose. But um, but actually at that point, particularly in the early 70s, where kind of the economy was booming and people were trying to, trying to push back and things, it, it appealed to a lot of, ide- of ideas on the right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's... A, if you see a lot of the basic income discussions in, in the US with people like Scott Santons and so on, there's kind of a, a meme that's used that basic income is not left or right, it's forward. And, it, you know, traditionally it has picked up support from it across uh, the political spectrum. So, I mean, uh, there were three trials in the US, uh, one of which I believe was actually run by, um, you're, you're one of conspiracy theorists, uh, Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld, yeah, which is so just the, the neoconservatives, just right. beautiful. Yeah. But I think this was back before they it's went like full on. Right yeah. it's, it's just amazing, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but the the really interesting experiment actually, we just had an event in uh, in Glasgow recently with Glasgow Centre Population and Health and ourselves with uh, Professor Evelyn Forge from Manitoba in mm-hmm. Canada. So we can share the details for the the coordinate of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was an experiment carried out, uh, two experiments carried out in Manitoba. Um, one of them particularly in, in a place called Dauphin. Um, and what happened was when they finished, the problem was they started the experiment in a time where the world was doing quite well and this was <clears> going to be how we, we beat poverty. And then as the experiment was underway, it ran into the end of the 70s and the, the yeah. kind of collapse of all that was good and happy in yeah. the world. Um, and so w- when it got to the end, the experiment finished, they decided not to continue it and they actually never evaluated it either. And so all the stuff was taken away and put in a room and left. Uh, and Evelyn found it years later and analysed a lot of the results. And it right. absolutely fascinating impact. So Dauphin had been a, a, very much a kind of small rural town. It had that kind of a lot of uh, kids left really school really early to get kind of manual labour jobs, which were okay. relatively well paid, but starting to hit into that time of kind of, yeah. uh, of losing out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, some really key things came out of it. So you saw a drop in uh, hospital admittances um, over that period okay. of the experiment particularly related to things to do with, for example, uh, psychological health issues, um, issues around, you know, self-harm and suicide. So real impact around kind of uh, symptoms of of poverty and and of negative conditions. Um, There was a really interesting fact that they, when they analysed it, they found that, because one of the criticisms you get is, but if you give people money, you know, for nothing, which I hate, because it's our our money anyway, Mm -hmm. nobody's going to work ever again. Now, A, usually you're talking about levels that actually don't, kind of contribute to anime but actually we find people want to work and have purpose it's just they don't want shit jobs which frankly is perfectly fair um and so it was really interesting they find that um and this has been similar to a lot of other experiments and and often that there were the the level of work stayed the same and actually increased Mm -hmm. for most people there were two groups where it dropped uh so one of those was for new mothers and the reason was that i believe at that time in canada uh, maternity leave was maybe about three weeks okay. and so new mums used this income to supplement so it was a minimum income it took you to yep. a certain level to basically get allow themselves to have a longer maternity leave okay. now there's questions there you don't want reinforcement of traditional gender roles and all the rest but mm-hmm. I, I think broadly speaking most of us would say that's quite a yeah, powerful yeah. opportunity to give to people yeah definitely the other one that's uh that at the time was highlighted was that there was a drop in working levels for unattached young males and this was great for the opponents because they were like, well, that's, you know, if it's stopping young men working, this is just a disaster. Yeah. Of course, when you went back and everyone looked through it all, what they meant by unattached young males were like 16-year-old boys who had left school early. Right. And actually what they found was 
the proportion so dolphins um high school completion rate was massively lower than than the rest of the kind of surrounding communities during the period of the um experiment mm-hmm. it went straight up to matching the national levels people you know kids finished school and actually some of the the boys who'd left school went back and completed yeah and literally as soon as the experiment finished dropped straight back down again um and as as she says if you think about that period since 70s where you know i'm sure we'll talk about automation stuff that's kind of on our horizon but Mm -hmm. it's been a huge wave of you know deindustrialization impact on the kind of jobs that these these guys in particular were going into yeah what kind of difference would that have made maybe having a high school completion certificate so real Mm -hmm. strong evidence uh there around the kind of positives we've we've seen experiments in um india and namibia that Mm -hmm. were quite large scale had really positive uh, outcomes in fact the Indian government now is starting to look at the idea of an actual basic income for India. Now, yep. it'll be quite a long-term process. It's fairly big country. Yeah. It's quite... It's fairly uh, poor as well. Quite yeah, rural. Yeah, it's certainly a real split in terms of you mm-hmm. know, a huge proportion of, of, of very poor people and, and then those with a lot of money. Um, but interesting that they're still engaging with it because when that experiment was carried out, there was a guy called uh, Guy Standing. He's quite well-known. Uh, he talks a lot about the precariat. So it's a new kind of growth of a social class that we can yep. come back to. But... Um, you know, when, when that was started, the Indian government at the time was quite opposed because it was just going to make people lazy and they were going to spend it on drink. So to have shown through that, that actually as, as positive outcomes, I think is yeah. is really positive. One of the things that really came out for me during the um, the experiment in Namibia, so I remember Guy talking about, uh, he, he spoke to a group of uh, teenage girls that had been in one of the, the communities that were part of the program. And at the end of it, he said to them, you know, what's what's been the biggest outcome for you? And they said, you know, before we had this income, when the men came back from the fields, we had to say yes, because they had the money. Mm-hmm. Now, when the men come back from the fields, we say no, because we've got money. And I thought, I found it really interesting because you kind of sat here within a Scottish context and went, well, that's really powerful. That's emancipatory. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we're a different context here. But actually, I think when you, you think about other ways that that, frankly, emancipatory yeah. aspect of, of basic income could impact on people here, that's that's huge. Uh-huh. There's a number of experiments underway <clears throat> just now. So... Um, Sadly, there was a big one just kicking off in, in Ontario and Canada that's just been cancelled. Uh, so it was a change of government. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was a, a mayor of Toronto who was caught in... He was Ford. Yeah, yeah. So, he's a man, man. Uh, right, okay. <laughs> like, Anyways, well, his brother's, his brother's just become the uh, the premier of Ontario. Right, and, uh, keeping it in the family. Uh, he's, he's scrapped, partly scrapped, uh, the basic income experiments that had started um, because... He's introduced this amazing new policy called beer for a buck. So okay. everybody in Ontario should be able to buy a bottle of beer for one for Canadian dollar. dollar. Now, don't get me wrong. I like my beer, but uh, yeah. cutting social security and, and basic yeah. income seems a little bit of an unfair. Supplementing the alcohol yeah. industry is not the, the way forward, I don't yeah. think. Yes. No. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's been really disappointing. That's been quite, a, a, it's a, frankly, a really traumatic experience for the people involved because what you had there was a, a government saying to people, you are in an experiment for three years where we want to see if you behave, frankly, sensibly with this money and what people did you know even in that those early stages was i've got three years of secure income so we had people signing up for college courses putting their deposits down moving so we had a heartbreaking example of a a woman who had had her children taken off her uh because the house they were living in was of such poor standards that you know welfare said you can't have your children living here she'd gone and put a deposit down for a new house so she could get her kids back you had people looking at paying off debt and and uh, literally was cancelled via the media 
uh, as far as I know, the, the participants still have never actually had an official confirmation that, that it had been cancelled. And these are people who were doing this, you know, this incredible uh, act, and yet yeah. the government's taken away from them. So that's been a, that's been a particularly depressing one. There's the, the experiments finishing in Finland just now, mm-hmm. which you may have seen. That's been quite a well-known yep. one. Um, quite a targeted one because it's specifically people on uh, unemployment benefits. So really, the change there has been instead of being required much as people do here to demonstrate, you know, so 35 hours a week. For, they basically just said you get the same money, but you can do whatever mm-hmm. you want with it. And I think it'd be really interesting to see what comes out of that. Some of the kind of anecdotal evidence has already shown yeah. people creating their own better businesses. Health, mental and, health. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, better yeah. If, if stuff like that comes out. Um, um, what is the, there's one in Dundee. There's only one planned for Scotland. So we're at a stage now where um, what's been really exciting is we've we've had this sudden surge of interest in, mm-hmm. in Scotland. Um, Fife Council uh, organised something called the Fader Fife Commission a few years ago, which okay. one of its recommendations for to make Fife a fairer place was to pilot basic income in a town. So Fife's very much been at the forefront uh, of, of these discussions. And we've worked over the last few years uh, to get kind of a, a, a core of uh, local authorities who are, who are interested in whether it would be possible to experiment. So Glasgow, Fife, North Ayrshire and Edinburgh councils uh what was really kind of the big breakthrough i suppose was last year last september in the program for government uh first minister announced that they were going to put two hundred fifty thousand um into supporting feasibility work to see whether basic income experiments would be possible so that's underway just now looking at whether it'd be possible to run experiments here Mm -hmm. um it has its challenges i mean the the reality is scotland cannot introduce a basic income just now, unless we, you know, even if we want to, just cost too much money. It was we we control fifteen percent of the social security budget. Yeah. You know, right. so we do yeah. not have the levers of power. So it's a really interesting one because because basic income, therefore, is a, a, it's not a policy of the status quo. Um, but there's different ways that it could it could be delivered potentially, mm-hmm. and that'll be part of the work. Hopefully, even groups like ourselves at the RCA are looking at other aspects of that, kind of separate mm-hmm. to to what the the pilot group are doing. But I think what's been really interesting, I was. Uh, I was actually over in the States last year when, when the announcement was made and uh, I'd, I'd been talking at something and said, you know, like, we're getting real momentum in Scotland. This is, this is fantastic. But one thing you will not see is the Scottish government publicly coming out in support for the very reason that they can't deliver it. Yeah. So they'll get criticised for concentrating the day job. Went to bed, woke up the next morning to an email from the, the First Minister's office going, hey, Programme for Government's coming out today, we're going to announce support. I was like, oh, okay, well, you've, you've slightly made me look daft. So I, I just tried to take full credit for it afterwards. But, um, you know, I, I think there's a really important step there that the government's not committed to the policy at mm-hmm. this stage. They're committed to, it seems like it could have answers for some of the challenges we face. So it yep. is worthy to explore further. And I think, you know, that's really important. I think what's also really interesting in Scotland is, by and large, we've tried to keep this and, and I think it's very important we keep this as non-party political as yeah. possible. So officially, the Scottish Tories are opposed. They of support universal credit. But interestingly, I mean, in, in Fife, the mm-hmm. Fife Conservative group have been very strong supporters throughout all the discussions so far. Okay. Um, met with their leader there and he said, mm-hmm. um, I, I said, yeah, it's really interesting. I met Ruth Davison, you know, Scottish Tories, your party's mm-hmm. opposed to this. And he said that, Firstly, he said, uh, that's the Scottish Tories. We're the Fife Tories. That's completely different. <laughs> the kingdom of Fife's alive and well. Uh, but, he, you know, he's, he's, he talks about the fact he's an engineer by training. And he said he likes elegant solutions to complex problems. And so for him, universal credit was neither elegant nor a solution. And, you know, basic income seemed worthy of exploration. So even if we get the kind of official party lines at points coming out, but, you know, on, on different levels, yeah. there's there's some interest there. And that council level is... 
day to day in the, and, you know, and people's actually, lives, whereas exactly. at a party level, it's a mere conceptual thing that's going on a lot of the time, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And I think as well, I mean, we, we recently launched a cross-party group at the Scottish Parliament, so that's got Labour, the SNP and the Greens involved. Um, so there's, you know, in local levels, I actually mm-hmm. think there's something really important to that. To me, this is an idea that <clears> needs to be led by the public yeah. and civic society, not by political parties. Absolutely. Political parties will help deliver a policy if we can get to that stage. Mm-hmm. But at this point, we would just get into the, we don't like you because you're, you know, and we've seen it already. Yeah. So, um, you know, Adam Tompkins, who's an MSP for the Conservatives here in mm-hmm. Glasgow, you know, we like retweeting the articles that he previously had written about how great it would be to experiment basic income. And now, of course, because the Tories have, yeah. he's the one leading the charge at Holyrood against it. You know, I, I think there's, there's space there for a bit of flexibility. If we Absolutely. can keep it away from, this, you know, it's not an SNP policy. It's not yeah. a Labour or, or Green policy. This is a, a wider issue mm-hmm. for Scotland, really. So what is the... the oh, sorry. Oh, on you go. I was going to say, for the Tories' point of view, I think if it's proven to be successful in the various places that it's been attempted or, you know, implemented in certain degrees, that purely because we don't have the levers of power to actually implement it, it could, in their eyes, be, you know, a, a really strong argument for, like, maybe Scottish independence... In a, in a general sense, so I, I can see probably why they might object to it in, on principle in that sense. Yeah, I think as well, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they, they, they are supportive of the UK government mm-hmm. being the same party and, uh, you know, it's still committed to to universal credit. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think as well, it's partly about how we, we frame the conversation around it. Mm-hmm. I find it really fascinating that the way that... So the, this conversation is taken off around the world. I was at the, yeah. the World Congress that was held recently in, in Finland, you know, and... Next year's Congress is in India, the year after that's in Australia, the stuff, you know, there's experiments kicking off in, in America, there's uh, Kenya, you know, there's interest across Europe and Asia and various other places. Mm-hmm. So you've got a really global movement with this and it, it develops for different reasons in different places. So here in Scotland, I would say so far, it's very strongly been from a, a social justice perspective. So yeah. this is about creating a, a vision for a fairer Scotland where people can participate and benefit from you know, the, the, the common wheel of what, what we live in. Mm-hmm. Now, that therefore, by definition, kind of has lended itself to particularly discussions on the left. And I suppose, yeah, certainly in the beginning was probably picked up quite a bit more strongly by mm-hmm. folk who had been involved in the Yes movement. I think it kind of fitted with that vision of a movement for a better Scotland and it kind of directs some of that. It's, mm-hmm. it's broadened out more from yep. there uh, since. In the US, kind of generalising slightly, there's a lot more of a push around automation and artificial intelligence. You know, if jobs are going to go, and we've seen we've seen folk supporting it there who are very much not uh, of of the left or of uh, yeah. you know socially progressive. It's the the big tech guys who, you know, being slightly brutally honest, there's a degree of kind of self preservation in there. If, they, mm. if their technologies or their their companies are going to remove jobs from people, yeah, then how do they protect themselves from actually having pitchforks at the door? Um, I mean, I read a, a couple of stats in the build up to today. Um, one of them said, said that, you know, Americans earning less than like twenty dollars an hour are like more than eighty percent likely to face, you know, loss of jobs through automation. But that Americans who earn less than like forty dollars an hour are still going to be like a, a one in three risk of, you know, being replaced <coughs> by automation. And I'm like, I was saying to Paul before we come in, like a forty dollar an hour job is a good job, mm. and it's a good job to be losing to automation. Yeah. And like, I don't know how. If you, you know how, how do you recover from that how do you deal with that you know what i mean yeah 
so I, th- I think we we do quite a lot of work around kind of future work. That's what I was over in, in <clears throat> Pittsburgh last week about. And um, I, I, I think this... So when you read the stuff that says 50% of jobs are mm-hmm. going to vanish, I, I remain very skeptical about that. I think mm-hmm. that's that's going to get... We, we, we tend to say this about most technological change. Um, I think there will be changes, yeah. But I think there will be disappearing jobs. And I think maybe as opposed to kind of the the loss of heavy industry in the 70s and 80s, I think that some of this will have an impact across a wider segment of society. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you look at the legal profession, there's an awful lot that lawyers do, or certainly the legal profession does in quite well-paid ways Mm -hmm. that actually a a well-written algorithm could probably do as well. You know, do we still want a lawyer defending us in court, probably at this stage. Mm -hmm. Do we need a lawyer processing our mortgage applications? You know, the difference, I think, that you'll see between... Medical industry's another one that's that's already on the way. I mean, there's that... uh, What's the machine called that... Was Was it Watson or... The machine, is it Picasso or something that they call it? Where it's basically... Yeah, it's it's like an automated surgery and they they need basically one guy to think with this machine and they just... Which is crazy. So even like doctors and yeah. GPs. Oh, the GP. I think we'll see disruption across more of society. I think the difference between the $20, $40, $100 an hour jobs is that those at the very bottom are in a far harder position to move into other jobs, to have the skills or the confidence. Yeah. Or frankly, to move if the jobs are elsewhere. Whereas if you're a well-trained you know, a doctor or a lawyer, there is going to be spaces for you to move yeah. in in other places. Um, you would hope, and I, I think this is what critical for for me, is we know some of this is coming. Um, we should be preparing for it. What we've traditionally done is we've allowed ourselves to be hit by these changes, and we've basically accepted that a proportion of society will be yeah worse off. And you know, that's just what happens overall. You know, the eighties led to more money for the country. Did everyone benefit? Of course not. No, but no. actually, the top line, and this is where we need to move away from how we, <clears throat> we measure success just now. Yeah. But I think it's about how do you give people the space to do it. Now, that's where, to me, a basic income gives a degree of security and opportunity for people to be able to start to retrain, to find new yeah. skills, or even just have the confidence to consider kind of mm-hmm. different opportunities. But it's interesting about what you're saying is, is that I've got a particular person in mind who is, um, identifies as being right, being on the right, a young Scottish guy. And I, tr- I had a, a, a sort of conversation about um, UBI Wilm and he was instantly against it. It was like, it was the definition of like identity politics. Right. Just, it, it was like, what, what is it? And it was like, everybody gets so mm. like 16 grand a year, basically enough money to live, like takes away all the pressures of like housing, food, basically gives you the basics to survive and he was just like nah nah and i was like well why not it won't work it won't work and he was texting his mate who's got a degree in economics to come up with an argument <laughs> to tell me why it wouldn't work <laughs> yeah um and one of the big things that he cited was the cost and i had said that i felt that the cost wasn't actually as much as what we think it would be so is there any, is there any, I mean, how much would it cost us? Let's see even if so, we just said Scotland. Uh, that really depends on the level you introduce that. So um, I suppose actually a lot of the, the it's funny, I, I say this a lot when I do public talking on this, that mm-hmm. uh, I never mention money. And the reason I never mention money is because it's always wrong just now. Yeah. Because when people are engaging with it, it's either too high or too low. And you, you kind of instantly get people going, it's either far too <clears throat> low to be worthwhile or it's it's too high to ever be, be deliverable. Um, interestingly, when you talk to people, what you find is a kind of knee-jerk, uh, I don't mean that in a bad way, but like the instant reaction is people go a £1,000 a month. 
It's just a nice round number. What I would say is that most of the, the reports modeling that's been carried out so far has been for considerably less than that. So it's effectively started from taking what do we currently offer in benefits mm -hmm. and moving that over to a basic <coughs> income, which could therefore be you know, as low as kind of like four or five grand over the course of a year, obviously adding up depending on who's, who's uh, if you've got kids and, yeah. and in the family and so on. Um, I mean, certainly we modeled for the entire UK uh, uh, basic income at that lowest level. Um, and for the entire UK, that was about 1% of GDP, which instantly sounds like it's going to be a huge amount of money. But considering recent changes around um, cuts to taxation, yep. you know, the, the changes we've had in social security in recent years, it's actually kind of very much in line with a lot mm -hmm. of that. We had recently, the, the money thing's interesting as well because um, the, the Conservatives uh, used freedom of information um, to to get a report that one of the Scottish civil servants had written for the first minister. Okay. Um, and they again, it was I think it was down this kind of lower level, so maybe about kind of five grand a year or so uh, for for each individual. That um, they came back and said this costs twelve billion pounds a year for Scotland. This is disgraceful. There's no way we can possibly deliver that. Uh, and I think there were a few interesting things came out of that because firstly, that twelve billion was <coughs> the starting cost before you rolled anything into it. So the, most of the models that are suggested around basic income involve rolling in some of the existing benefit systems. So, for example, you wouldn't continue to have child benefits separately because you yeah. have basic income. Okay. You know, you would roll a lot into it. I would say, really, the, the two things that generally are kept separate to it, um, one is, and this is very deliberate, would be disability support because basic income is a society-wide mm -hmm. opportunity. Disability is an individual situation and that needs to be looked at um separately and needs to be you know and there's a degree where that yep. still needs to be to be taken on a case-by-case -case basis so that <laughs> would be additional to to basic income the other one that actually has a real problem for us is the is housing benefit and that's just because the housing market is such a nightmare now yeah. it's difficult in scotland it's impossible in a uk wide oh, level yeah. because of london's the, the further south you go it just uh, gets incredible it's just horrific i mean yeah. you would literally need to to you'd either introduce a basic income that was so high for everyone outside london that we would all live lives of luxury <coughs> or so low Signing compared up. to London that nobody would be able to, yeah. to live there. Could so. they tear it like they do? I mean, I work for a, I work, I work for a big company. I'm actually in a, a job that would be threatened by okay. automation. I work in retail. I'm a retail manager, so okay. I've managed to get to the <coughs> top of the food chain. In, Just in, in time for in the, the to, to vanish, yeah. <laughs> I'll be the only one sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I'll, I'm on the most money. I won't be the only one sitting there. I'll be the first one to go. Um yeah, the the tier like if I if if I've got a peer in London, he makes more money than me, but it's yeah, it's not that he's making more money than me. It's, it no, it's the more, waiting more in money. there. Yeah, so yeah. they would need to wait. It, I, th I think there's there's space around that. I mean, one of the things we're going to be producing at the RC over the next kind of six months or so will be a very specific Scottish report that's going okay. to say literally, this is what it could look like in Scotland. This is how it would cost. This is how you pay for it. Mm -hmm. Because again, one of the things that comes back with with the cost size, so that twelve billion. So when you looked at it, that already that shrunk down to, to yep. three billion. Now, don't get me wrong, that's still a lot of money. But I find it really interesting talking to quite a lot of folk that they went, oh, "Actually, it's less than I expected." Yeah, I was how much do we spend on Trident? Well, you know, things that, that we don't. That, that's it. We, yeah. you know, magic money trees seem to be able to be found when yeah. you need to find them. So. Sure. Um, I think there's a really interesting question here. One of the reasons I think it comes back as being too expensive, though, <clears> as, a, as a reaction, is because I suppose there's probably been quite a traditional focus on, well, how would you pay for it? So it's not so much the money, it's where does the money come from? Mm -hmm. And, you know, so far we've not done much around, you touched earlier, and would this have positive impacts on people's physical mental well-being? Well, that's going to reduce spend on Social NHS. Security and, yep. and NHS. But we haven't really measured that because, first and foremost, this is an investment. 
this is not a money saving exercise. So mm. this will cost us money because it is worth spending that money to invest in the future. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm quite unashamedly happy to say that. And I think that's something we need to take, take ownership of. Um, but I think also it's about how we look to raise that money. So when we traditionally go, well, it's great, we'll raise income tax. It becomes hard to sustain, particularly within a Scottish context, because the level of spend you would be looking at, it becomes very difficult to see how you're going to keep pushing up income yeah. tax for everybody around that. But to me, if we're talking about our, our systems are out of date for the world we live in, so is our taxation and revenue. So yeah. income tax it still needs to be part of this. And as I said earlier, I would expect a basic income to be as a policy to be accompanied by a revision of the tax system that would therefore see higher earners paying more and probably they wouldn't gain financially out of having a basic income. Um, but actually, we need to look at new ways of revenue generation. So the biggest uh, resource I think we're going to see of the 21st century is data. Now, currently, yeah. data just flows out of the country into the pockets of you know, the Amazons and the Googles, uh, many of whom are enthusiastic supporters of basic income. So this is their way to help contribute to pay for that. Yeah. You know, so we've talked about things before, like uh, you know, the Tobin tax, financial tra uh, taxations on transactions, mm -hmm. land values, an area that's been talked about, yep. you know, environmental. So to me, I think part of it, and this is partly what we're looking at, is what's the broader way that we kind of change how we operate as a, as a nation that actually then allows you to say this is a money that can be spent and that's even before you get into yeah discussions around you know trident or where we spend money on other things that we can, we can make it's funny you on. mentioned you know data and big data i mean this is one of the things again we were speaking about prior to coming on the day and it was that universal basic income and the changes that are coming with automation and stuff like that kind of mirror the, the you know big data side of things as well where i was saying in the 90s people were saying we need to be prepared things are going to change the laws the systems that we have in place all need to evolve in line with us and i don't think they did mm -hmm. and we had scandals and hacks and breaches and all the rest of it because the world just wasn't ready for it and i think we face a kind of similar thing where the the types of scenarios that you're talking about today so i think it's funny that you, you bring that up you know what i mean like in terms of you know, obviously the, the money side of things and, and the funding and all that kind of stuff that's coming about, have you modelled the impact that somewhat Brexit's going to have on the potential for us to go ahead? No, and uh, I suppose every conversation you have now is timed by how far into it before you mentioned Brexit <clears> and Trump, <throat> isn't it? So we've, we've ticked both boxes now. <laughs> um, no, I, we, it's certainly something we're going to be looking at. And I think there's where I see Brexit being a particular issue, frankly, is around... Um, the, the challenge of the experiments, actually. So if we're talking about testing this out, mm -hmm. if we go into a really turbulent period of Brexit, potentially a second referendum on independence, you know, elections and so on, changes in government, whatever could come out of this, then to, to convince people to carry out, you know, a really big social experiment is going yeah. to be very difficult to do in that context. As it showed in Canada. Exactly. What And, and you know, we need to be aware of, of politics within this. What I think is interesting, though, is that on a UK scale, there are conversations already changing. So, for example, John McDonnell's shadow chancellor set up a, a working group led by Guy Standing to prepare ideas for, for policy um, around what a future Labour government could introduce in terms of potentially basic income experiments for, for England and the UK as a mm -hmm. whole. Now, that would instantly change the dynamic because just now this this difficulty of delivering in scotland if we need you know hmrc and dwp on board suddenly if you've got the uk government there's there's space there yeah. city of liverpool just passed a motion ahead of the labor conference taking place saying that they want to be an, an experimental site and we're going to be you know we're in contact with them down there so there's been a bit of a shift uh you know in a, in a uk context certainly from from labor mm -hmm. there's a lot of opposition within 
the Labour Party as well. I mean, I think Labour Party is just based on opposition to each other. Just now, yeah. So, um, Funny that a party that gave us the welfare state would be, yeah. I undecided. mean, undecided. Do you know one of the th- things that we, the positive sign is we're starting to see more criticism and pushback, mm-hmm. and that's positive for two reasons. One, because it shows we're having an impact. You know, the second thing is because actually. You know, I, I, I do a lot of work on this now where, I, you know, I'm very much more involved in kind of an advocacy. And I, the more work I do around basic income, the more I believe it will be part of, of the solution to the world we're, we're yeah. going into. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my organization is of the stance that we think it's worth exploring. We're not convinced that it's it's the outcome yet. That's why we want to test and, and do more work. Same as Scottish government. Um, it's been interesting, therefore, that we want <coughs> critique because that's how you strengthen policy and actually maybe experiments or maybe the work we do here will say do you know what basic income isn't the answer it'll certainly get us an awful lot closer to what the answer is yeah um but what we find what i find really disappointing is the critiques we're having in scotland and uk just now are pretty poor to be honest um so we get one that is quite commonly it won't solve every problem so it's not worth the hassle now no policy in the history of the world ever has or ever will and i wouldn't trust anyone who told you it could um we have the there's a big thing so chuka man i suppose is kind of representative of that center the the kind of right of the labor party uh gave a speech a wee while back about how it would undermine the dignity of of work now Apart from anything, you you just want to know from him what work is he talking about? Yeah, that's, exactly. That's dignified. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it maybe undermine. Yeah, it's just where he comes from. That's just. That but there's that there's that. that element of of that part of the Labour Party that that's that has a, a degree of opposition to it. Yeah. Um, to me, I think basic income is one of the most pro work policies there is. But the the fun the critical pro dignity as well. Well, exactly. And this is the critical it is pro good work. And yep. it's also pro the fact that work and a job are not the same thing. Yep. Yep. So work is what we do with our lives. It is the caring that people provide. It's the volunteering. It's the creativity. It's the yep. things that people are doing. This is a space to give people that dignity. And actually, do you know what? If you know David Graeber talks about bullshit jobs, um, yeah. which has been really fascinating stuff recently, and <coughs> there are so many of them. And you know, we've heard the concern before where people go, "But how will we get anyone to do the really crap jobs?" And it's like, well, because you'll actually have to make them better jobs and pay people yeah. more. Yeah. Imagine such a shocking. Uh, it's quite situation a recurring theme that, uh, and again, you kind of touched on it when you're talking about the empoweringness that you know people in uh, or women in Africa had felt like. A theme that I've seen a lot in the build-up to today's episode was the power to say no. Yeah. Like UBI provides people who wouldn't ordinarily have it the power to say no because they have a level of comfort and the security that you're talking about. Absolutely. And do you know what? It it can support wider flexibility Mm -hmm. in society. So, you know, this this is something that can benefit employers. You know, good employers will become extra popular within basic income. They will have a bigger choice of people to, to yeah. engage with. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it really fascinating. We, we, I ran a session a while back in Glasgow and um, we had a few representatives of disability groups there. Mm-hmm. And um, someone raised the point about zero hour contracts. Now, zero hour contracts have become, you know, the most toxic form of, um, of, of kind of contractual arrangement, even if the Church of England still uses them. And... Uh, they, she made the really good point that actually for, for a lot of their, their kind of service users and clients, zero hours contracts could be great because they have conditions that mean some weeks they can work a lot and some weeks they can't. Yeah. Yeah. The problem just now is there's no balance. The yeah. balance is purely with the employer. Uh-huh. This provides a degree of balance to that that actually from an employer's perspective means that something flexible working could be yeah. a lot more useful. I think as well when we look at, you know, 
if we are going to see impacts upon jobs. So we're seeing people work longer. So how do we get younger people into the workforce if people are occupying jobs that we would have expected them to retire from? Yeah. How do we fill these jobs? Well, a basic income gives you a space to potentially decide to work fewer days a week and use those other days to do other things. So for me, the idea that we could start to, to create a culture whereby actually sharing roles becomes a lot more common yeah. where actually that we open up the space that people can be learning that position from someone who's been doing it for you know a considerable period of time and sharing that information that's going to benefit the economy and benefit uh, employers out of that in terms of the skills that they can bring in something else that's been trialed elsewhere in the world as well isn't it like four day three day weeks and yeah six hour shifts and stuff like that. there's a lot of work going on around these types of things as absolutely well. and i think it's that recognition mm. that the, the concept of work needs to change we are yeah. still operating in that job for life nine to five yeah. you know and and you know we touched on it earlier fundamentally the idea that the best route out of poverty the best way to create opportunity for yourself is through employment and it's not working anymore, no, not that, anymore. you know look at food banks where you've got you know nurses showing up to use a food bank i mean it's it's yeah, disgraceful it's disgusting, yeah, it's, it's disgusting. And that why we don't have a kind of level of national outrage about that just now, I yeah. think is, is... There's loads of studies about the change. Um, we were talking off off camera as well, but um, ideas about human motivation. And this yeah. is something that really interests me. I'm a, I'm a manager, um, but I manage a sales team. So I'm a, I need to motivate people yeah. or else I don't, get, yeah. I don't make money. Um, and also I'm studying um, cognitive behavioral therapy as well. So the motivation of human beings is something that really interests me. And I've seen loads of stuff. There was a really good video that I watched where it talked about how the carrot and the stick doesn't work mm -hmm. and when it becomes critical so they put the carrot in front of somebody yeah just really quickly I'll paraphrase it if, if they put the carrot in front of somebody where it meant that they could get something nice their performance went up but as soon as you put it in front of somebody that meant they could have a better quality of life their performance actually went down because the pressure mm -hmm. of being able to perform to get that thing so important to them and also Google implemented a thing once a month where they let people just do what they want. Yeah. And it was the most productive day of the month. Absolutely. Without without a doubt, every single right. month. And then Wikipedia. Yeah. The contribution well, that people, the hours that people put into building stuff on the internet yeah. that makes yeah. them no money. That sounds like it might have been the Dan Pink. Yeah. So yeah. Dan Pink's one of my, like, I love oh, Dan yeah, Pink. Yeah. I, I was, was going to give our, a plug to the RSA. So we have our animate series of uh, where our lectures get kind of shrunk down and drawn by an artist. Cool. So it's a really good way to engage with, yeah. with ideas. And my favourite one, is Dan Pink's on, on drive and that motivation you know so he talks about autonomy mastery and purpose and I think that goes for life in general you know give people the space so I, I don't you know there, you occasionally hear these kind of utopian uh, and I don't think they're utopian because I don't think it would, be a good, it would be a good place to get to but particularly in the states you have this idea of we need basic income because there will be no work in the future and the robots are going to do everything the same way that we were not going to have paperless offices and we were never going to do anything because email was going to save us and it's just made life a million times worse yeah. I mean yeah, either the robots are going to just wipe us out or uh, or we're going to find actually the technology doesn't work and we have to just spend all our time replacing them but um you know, so to me, there's there's definitely not this idea. I don't I don't see us moving into a world where work and employment and certainly purposeful lives don't don't exist anymore. But how do we take some of those ideas? You know, so Dan Pink talks about the fact of um, if he if he'd said in the eighties, you know, I've got this idea for for something that effectively was Wikipedia, he'd have been laughed out of the room. But people are willing to do that because they get the purpose and and the ability to improve themselves. That can and should work in uh, 
in companies as well. You know, they are going to be the successful companies of the, the future. And again, I think, you know, you are seeing it come from some of the big multinationals. The reality in Scotland is that, you know, we're, we're a country really of smaller businesses. Yeah. And that's a challenge for them because they're mm-hmm. quite small to do it, but they're also therefore smaller and potentially a bit more agile in terms of how they can respond to it. How do we support them to say... Now, for me, basic income, so as a policy, as I said, you know, it's foundation. You need other policies with it. Yeah. You, you know, I've had talks where people go, oh, well, basic income would be great because we could scrap minimum wage or living wage. Uh, to me, absolutely not, because all you would do then is you would subsidize wages that are being paid by employers. You know, let's have a conversation about in a basic income world, what would it need to be set at? Yeah. But you still need that on top. You need- it's Largely what would already be housing benefits. Exactly. And, you know, you need rent control because otherwise private landlords are just going to take all the money straight back into it. But there's, you know, I think there's a really interesting flexibility there that it brings in as well to to push and to say within a Scottish context, well, actually, how could that help small businesses be a bit more agile and interesting and saying, actually, we can offer, you know, we've seen a huge increase in the level of um, self-employment and entrepreneurial behaviour. Lot of that, um, we did a lot of work around young entrepreneurs, you know, I don't want to generalise, but we found certainly the trend was younger entrepreneurs going into this because they wanted to have a social impact, not just yeah make the profits okay so this is a space to actually say but does that still exist in certain communities more because that's where the support structures or the access to education is how do we broaden that out so it's a really big risk to set up a business and know you're not going to make any money for x number of months if you know there's at least the cover of your you know your mortgage and your food for a few months can we become a more beneficially risk-taking yeah. nation. I think yeah. that has to be a good that's a good. That's a very good point, especially yeah. on the entrepreneur side. And also, I think you'd probably see a lot more people helping <clears throat> each other out as yeah. well if we had this freedom. Um, like, I, 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 I absolutely love the idea. Um, what's the... So, I've heard a lot about the self-driving car, that this yeah. is going to be the first, because is it 10% of Americans rely on driving, so it's like 20 million people. Yeah, and they, and they think that potentially that it's within the next ten years that they mean taxis. I'd say I've been doing a lot of work in uh, with Pittsburgh, so Glasgow and Pittsburgh as two cities are, are really developing a very strong relationship as kind of post-industrial cities. Yeah, and uh, when you're in Pittsburgh, uh, you you see driverless Ubers going around. They're under really? testing their right. They have two guys sitting in the front seat yeah. ready to take over just in case um, and actually there was uh, one of the biggest so confident in their self-driving well, cars to put two guys in the front do you know what they were what they're aware of and, and this is actually sensible so there's been the first fatality from a driverless car okay. in a test yeah and what they're very aware of is the technology is developing fast mm. But as we've seen with lots of technologies, you know, the, the example that's always used is virtual reality. We keep announcing virtual realities arrived and then releasing a really crap product and everyone goes, it's rubbish, we're not doing it anymore. They're aware that it would not take much for us to actually stop autonomous vehicles because if we see that they're a danger, you know, there's already been discussions around, will an algorithm decide whether it's better to crash you into a wall rather than, you know, and we, we like the control there. Yeah, so, another car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's... I, th- I think the reason they have the two sitting there is to they need to be aware that, that you know the, the the potential for that to be undermined just now is significant. But you know in the US it's going to have a huge impact because I th- I'm sure I saw a stat recently something like two thirds of the states in the US or something like that the the biggest employment for lower earners within the state is long distance uh, truck driving. Wow. Now you have a situation where thoughts, I'm sure you know I, I may be wrong with that, but it was, yeah. it was a, a significantly mm-hmm. high high level of states. Um, 
and there's no you know you're talking about places where there's maybe not much other alternative employment to take over and you're also seeing so there's a combination there you've got a, a career a job that is actually more than just an employment i think you know that long haul haulage is kind of a way of life for, yeah. for a lot of people yeah um that could go because particularly when you look at a u.s context a lot of that cross-continental work mm. is down very straight roads you know there's going to be testing uh next year i think in the uk of uh truck convoys where the first truck has a driver and the others are following yep. behind just one just on right now. yeah so it's gonna have a huge impact there but you're also seeing so i believe uber is developing ai programs to also run the um the stock and the the supply chain work so actually you get a double whammy if you're going to lose actually kind of white collar jobs of traditional stock management mm -hmm. and the blue collar jobs of the uh the drivers oh. across quite a significant part of the united states there's i mean in scotland we it's that's not as as kind of embedded a, a role within scotland mm -hmm. i don't think but we've certainly i saw one stat that said you know they, they estimate 60 percent of scottish jobs will be impacted by driverless cars mm -hmm. doesn't yeah. mean they'll vanish but you know taxi drivers it's gonna be a huge issue oh, there definitely. Um, i've got a family member that's a taxi driver and when uh, uber launched two years ago two and a half years ago actually and work served the guy served the guy and he told me oh, i've stuff I've, I've bought a franchise of this company called uber you should look into it and this is like three years yeah, ago yeah. it's like we're going to the scottish government looked at it and said to him you need to move you need to get away from glasgow private hire and get yourself into uber and he was like Pfft. and there's like anything technological based it'll take off yeah yeah do you know what i mean especially something like this i mean it's like this guy's sitting in front of me telling me that him and his partner are really like they know what they're talking about yeah. and this is going to launch and this is going to take over and if you look what's happened in new york and paris at the time it's like you need to shift and he was like nah it won't work it won't work and this is the type of attitudes that you're coming yeah. up against but it's just fear yeah it's fear and like i said in, in scotland a lot of these discussions have very much been from that kind of social justice perspective which is really important but kind of has then put to one side the discussion and i think some of the kind of when you hear you know every job's going to vanish i think that makes people just kind of roll their eyes what you need are the really tangible uh, impacts so i mean so far i would say uber you know is has really not had the kind of saturation in scotland that it has in other places you know mm. pittsburgh uber and lyft that's it you know the public transport system is not that great so everybody and you get used to it. you can use an app you can you pay with a card so you don't need any cash it's relatively safe compared to you know for both the drivers and so yeah on. for both that's that's the, the and, and i find it really interesting talking to um so certainly over in the states talking to quite a lot of, of drivers when i've been using stuff when i'm there um and a lot of them really like it we did work at the rsa with with uber drivers in london and you know kind of went in with this is you know it's, uh, there's bad things here gig economy can be really difficult and it can it has its challenges oh, yeah. but also you had loads of uh of folks saying do you know what i do few hours a week and it just tops up my income um i can be quite flexible with it you know i think what's really interesting is it's not the career that can keep you state people have other jobs yeah. alongside it yeah but as an additional flexible way to to work it's picked up and it, it it does work for some people yeah now obviously what we've seen is the need to rebalance again the relationships so what you saw in london around uber was partly a very powerful taxi industry fighting back which yeah. is what we're always going to see in, in these kind of struggles but also 
that the, the use of the kind of self-employed status was a way to get away from providing support. So we need, you know, if you rebalance those, I think certainly the the impact is is going to be there. And I think it will change also the the way that the economy functions that, you know, how are we preparing? Are we going to be, as a country, producing some of the stuff that's going to go into those technologies? If not, are we going to find <clears> that what we do have is no longer as relevant anymore? And I think that's going to start to be mm -hmm. a real, real challenge. Well, how do we... we you know, prepare kids to, to come through and work in this kind of very different, flexible yeah. environment in the future. At the moment, we're training the AI, but obviously in years to come, as you say, by the, time, by the time it gets to, you know, our kids and their kids, it's going to be, you know, a complete thing. I actually seen a, a thing recently. It was a, a woman who pr uh, helped program AI for Amazon. Um, and that was quite a weird sort of fear that she had was that, like, I'm training this algorithm to like replace me like yeah well, we're feeding, odd, we're, you know what i mean yeah, we're, yeah. we're feeding the biggest i mean everybody's contributing to the biggest ai brain on the planet in google yeah mm -hmm. so what there was a i watched something with it the, somebody at google had said that there's no there's no need for somebody to program ai like we're, we're consciously we're doing, it. doing it on the internet yeah. yeah just by putting what we like uh, what we want all the x y and z i think what will be interesting is the results of that ai because there's a lot of, there's a lot of denial mm -hmm. about what, what we're actually into. There's mm -hmm. a lot of taboo that yeah, kicks yeah. about. And I think that the 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 product that comes out, there'll be a lot of people that might be like, We don't like that. And it's like yeah, this is the reality. This is the reflection <laughs> of us. Yep, here's the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I was, maybe don't like it. I was talking to to someone I gave a talk at uh, Pitt University <laughs> last week when I was over in um Michael Goodhart, the the lecture there was talking about if Freud had this concept of the closer something is to you the more uncomfortable you come with it. So if a robot or AI is very clearly a science fiction one, we're okay with that because yeah. it's clearly a robot. And if it's pretty much identical to us, we're okay because we can't really tell the difference. But it's when it's almost like us, but not quite. And I, you know, there is that element of what will come out of, you know, the, uh, the Google kind of work is maybe something that'll be quite uncomfortable for us because we'll go, well, we're totally not like that. Actually, fundamentally, our concerns about AI, I think, and when we talk about, you know, Skynet and the robots yeah. is that um, we're we're kind of worried that it'll turn out like us. I think that's the problem. Yep. <laughs> if it turns out better than us, we're you know we're, be we're doing okay. But, um, but also, I think it comes comes back to um, challenging some of these presumptions around. Well, therefore, what does that what does that mean? Where do we go with that? Yeah. How do we give people control? But also, how do we deal with it? Where do we benefit from that? So just now, the money and the data is flowing to private corporations. Where's the element that also society benefits from the fact that we're so I don't think we're going to go to a stage at any point where we you know, people talk about monetizing your your data in the sense of, you know, everything you put on Facebook, you would get a bit of money back on mm. how many we've got too used to the fact that the internet's free. Yeah. You know, they've talked about putting tiny charges in email and people get upset about it. What I think therefore to me is is less about the individual monetization of that, but how can we as society benefit? Now if we could tap into some of that data. Uh, transactions in a mm -hmm. way that therefore provides a bit of the pot of money to, to support something like basic income. At least we're seeing a benefit to the, the yeah. greater good out yeah. of it as well. I think that some of the stuff that's going on, which is concerning, uh, just about what you're saying there, is some of the stuff that's going on with like net neutrality. Mm -hmm. And I work for a telecommunications company, I won't say their name, and I know what's coming. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I've spoke to somebody that's saying that five years, this is what it's going to look like. Basically what they're going to do is they're just going to carve the internet up and charge you for every wee piece yeah. that you want to use so if you want to stream tv yeah. that's going to cost you if you want to use facebook that's going to cost you social media packs are just going to 
turn into subscription-based mm-hmm. things and they're going to just restrict internet if they can get their policies through. But it yeah. looks like that that's probably going to be the case. Mm. I mean, stuff that's going on in the EU, and, uh, Article 12 or whatever, I can't remember what it's called. There's a lot going on in America as well. Yeah, yeah, net neutrality. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. Desperate, they're not desperate to get control of the internet, which is probably going to be a big battle and probably one that we're not wary. Yeah. Um, but that's our, that's. I mean, we're going over the hour, and I'm aware that you've got other plans. But I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. No, I mean, it's been great to be on, and very, very happy so. to come back. And uh, it's been the quickest one so far. I think. So <laughs> I'm just so update as well. I said, there's there's so much to come out of it. And I think it'll be really interesting to, to kind of follow up on this once we've because uh, certainly as part of the next stage, we're going to be carrying out some kind of deliberative processes and mm-hmm. Fife with some folk there to so really engage with stakeholders and community to kind of say, well, what does this this mean? Because if we get to a stage where there's any sort of piloting or experiment in scotland even if it's in specific areas we need it to feel like it's for the whole country yeah yeah um and so i think it's important to get what people think about that so it could be really interesting to, to explore that but absolutely it's just a really fascinating time for us i think you know I, I i do work around policy and stuff and a lot of time you're talking quite abstract you're talking about something you know ideally this feels like in quite a short space of time really pulled up a lot of, of interest and pulled up a lot of interest in scotland we're seen as a, a small innovative nation just now you can argue sometimes how much we're living up to that but yeah. you know what it's a space for us in the world just now to, <clears throat> to grab this and to, to run with it so you know we're continuing to have conversations with folk around the world about how we can learn from what they're doing they can contribute here and i think that for me is such an exciting time for us to actually focus on, on doing something for that, that i think could really benefit people in this country and further afield mm-hmm. yeah perfect um is there so could you give me links to stuff that I could put in? The yeah, absolutely. I'll so send through. We, Certainly our yeah, website, the RSA, there's the Basic Income Scotland, there's Citizens Basic Income yeah. Network Scotland and so on. So I'll just make sure that that's all on YouTube and iTunes. Fantastic. There's a number of groups and, and ways to get involved. And certainly I'm really happy to, to follow up conversations with anyone. You can usually find me on Twitter. I, I like it far too much. That's where they're stealing all my data, obviously. I'll, sell, yeah. I'll, tell, my, I'll tell my mate that's... that's against it too there you go you <laughs> just, yeah uh, tell them to, to get in touch we want good we want good critique as well as, yeah. as support but thanks very much jamie no brilliant thanks for having me on guys man you're a great guy and i thanks for coming on dude yeah much appreciated thank you